AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Our guest for this episode is Sarah Elizabeth from the Sober Gratitudes podcast. Now, I'll tell you, this isn't a typical episode for AA Beyond Belief because Sarah doesn't identify as either an atheist or agnostic. In fact, she describes her experience as spiritual and she attributes her sobriety to a higher power which she identifies as God. Now, that being said, this is a truly amazing person you're about to meet. She has an inspiring story and she's my friend and also a friend of AA Beyond Belief. I enjoyed our conversation very much, and I hope you do as well. So, Sarah, welcome to AA Beyond Belief. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Good to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I always find um, it's helpful for my sobriety when I have the um, the opportunity to share my story. Um, it reminds me where I came from. And where I am today and, and allows me to be grateful, um, in remembering where I came from and the changes that have come in my life that are amazing. So, so thank you for giving me this opportunity to serve. Um, well, I began drinking at a young age. Um, I didn't think I was young. I was 14 and I, uh, just fell in love with the feeling of um, the alcohol once it really entered my bloodstream and it numbed um, some uncomfortable uh, feelings that I had been having most of my life. Um, as long as I can remember, I was a very anxious person. Um, I also um, experienced some traumas before I was 14. And I think that um, drinking allowed for an escape I didn't see it then. You know, that's something that I clearly see today. So from the age of 14 until I was 39, I, uh, my life really was me and alcohol, you know, and us conquering the world <laughs> together. <laughs> um, but, you know, as most people know who are in recovery, the alcohol ends up kind of turning against us. So that's, exactly what happened for me um, the the last two years before I finally found the rooms of AA. But um, I, you know, everything I did in my life revolved around drinking. I, you know, had found my life partner when I was 14. Um, and I just love, I loved it. I loved drinking. I loved partying. I loved that social scene um, of drinking and smoking cigarettes and just being wild and crazy and, uh, with my girlfriends. And, um, I dated men who drank, usually older men who drank so that I could get alcohol more easily, um, uh, before I was of age. So, um, it was really just, you know, if I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking in my my uh youth before i went to college i um i drank on the weekends you know with boyfriends and close girlfriends and um i wouldn't say it was a huge problem in my life um at that point because i i think i just thought i was drinking like everyone else was drinking um and so I didn't really think of myself as having a problem, but I certainly knew that I loved it. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with loving drinking. Um, I went to college and, you know, was seven hours away from home and really just hit, hit it hard. You know, I, I, I quit doing um, activities that I had formerly done, uh, you know, growing up, um, you know, under my parents' roof, I was, you know, doing activities outside of academics, 
and I was very, you know, well-rounded um, youngster, but I also um, found myself um, very anxious in the classroom and I would have panic attacks um, and always very self-conscious and uh, watching other people finish tests before me and feeling like I didn't understand some classes and was just very, you know, didn't want to ruffle any feathers because um, I lived in a household with a, a sibling who had a, a lot of, um, at the time I felt like he, he had struggles that were more important and um, they were paid more attention to. Um, and so I didn't want to like cause any more problems with what I was experiencing. What I know now is that I was dealing with undiagnosed ADD and anxiety and depression. Um, I didn't, I didn't un understand that or didn't come to learn that until I was in my early forties when I was in early recovery, when I started to, you know, seek out help for various, um, parts of my life that were, you know, not, not going so well. And, um, so in college, just to backtrack to college, I, you know, I spent most of my time there drinking, you know, I, I, I skated through, I don't know how I got the grades I did, but I, I did drink, drink heavily. I, I, found myself, I think at that point being, um, I went into college, a relatively confident teenager. Um, but then I think the combination of heavy drinking and just being, um, with the wrong people who weren't, you know, the right kind of people to spend time with, I realized that my self-esteem was trying to take a hit and I relied heavily on finding, um, you know, partners who would kind of put me up on a pedestal and, uh, kind of obsess over me. Like I wanted them to, you know, love me and only want to be with me all the time. And if they didn't, then I would became very needy and I became very, um, lonely and I, I became very manipulative and to try, you know, I was very selfish. I, I needed lo love and attention and I wanted to be the most important person all the time for whoever I was dating. Um, and also with the, the girlfriends I spent time with, I, I found myself, I was always very jealous. I was very, um, I felt I was always in people's shadows. And so that just, so a lot of, you know, character defects I came <laughs> to find out when I went through the program of recovery in the big book, you know, as designed, um, I was really able to, um, understand the patterns of relationships, um, of my humanness, you know, and I'll, and, and alcohol just kind of fueled <laughs> all of that, right? You know, and alcohol was my solution and it numbed a lot of, you know, um, you know, trauma of my youth. I, I did experience, you know, emotional and sexual trauma. And, um, and so there were, and the, the mental health, um, was an issue that was, you know, not addressed. So, you know, alcohol just continuously, you know, helped me in those areas. And so it was just always the solution to every problem I had. It was also just the, the, the way I thought you had fun. Like there was no other way I could have fun, um, but to drink, you know, and to party and, and go to, you know, any event that I went to, if alcohol wasn't involved, I just felt like it was stupid you know, I didn't want to be involved in anything that didn't involve alcohol. And I would just get resentful if there was an alcohol there. So, you know, at, at this point, I mean, it was, you know, by the time I graduated college, I, you know, had to move back home. I couldn't afford to live on my own. This was in like the mid nineties. And, um, I had, um, 
been diagnosed with a chronic illness, um, a vestibular disorder called Meniere's disease. And um, I was very angry about that. And the doctor told me that I should not drink at all because of this condition. And that made me very angry. <laughs> so I drank more, <laughs> which is like, right, the lo- the logical, you know, response to, <laughs> you know, made no, no sense. I just, you know, was my, my only knowledge and understanding of how to cope with anything. So, um, I, I went through at that point, you know, my, in my twenties, I, I ended up living at home and really felt like I couldn't drink the way I needed to drink living at home Is, with my parents. Were you beginning to think in your twenties that was it, were you becoming aware that maybe it was a problem? Were you thinking about it at that time? I mean, that's when yeah. it really started hitting me about the age of 19. Okay. Yeah. I was, um, I think I was around 20, 19 or 20. And I remember I did, there was a, um, a, a time, actually, I don't think I've ever shared this, <laughs> but in, in the eight years I've had in, in sobriety and I went to, um, a spring break event with some girlfriends in college. And I remember I was with them all and I just, there was this moment while we were all so intoxicated and we were just being silly and goofy at these like reggae bars and whatnot. And I ended up just like separating myself from them. And I, I think I was feeling like they weren't again, like that feeling like I was not important in the crowd, in the group of, even though they, you know, I was included in in this spring break event, I still didn't feel like that I was important. And I felt you know, such self-loathing and self-pity and felt like that I wasn't smart like they were. And I wasn't, um, so I, I remember I, at one evening I separated myself and I walked out onto the beach and I can remember I, I was talking to my grandmother who had passed and I knew she had alcoholism and was never, never recovered, recovered, never got into recovery. Um, and she died of breast cancer when I was 13. And I remember I talked to her. Um, and, and I said, and I, and it was, I was talking about my, my drinking with her that I wasn't sure if this is the way I should be going. And, um, you know, it's interesting that, that that question you asked me, you know, prompted that memory that I really haven't thought about, um, ever. so, so, So that's really you know, I guess one of the seeds that was planted, you know, cause I know there's a lot of seeds planted along my lifetime. That, well, that's um, why I find that. So, well, when I, when I first hit, when I guess I hit bottom and finally got help, what really blew me away was when I would think back about moments like that. For me, it would be like my brother telling me I had a problem, my employer telling me I had a problem, you know, on and on and on and on and on. And that I just couldn't see it that I, I just, I might think about it for a little while. I say, ah, no, it can't possibly be. I'm just going through a phase, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, John, because um, I was such a good secret keeper, you know, because of the abuse. Um, the My abuser also drank and, you know, threatened me not to tell anyone. And so I had to keep that secret as well. Um you know, today those secrets and those are my abuser's secrets now. They're not my secrets any longer. Um, and I have no shame over it. I, so yes. And, and so anyway, um, so because I was such a great secret keeper, I really, no one knew, knew how significantly my alcoholism had progressed over the years and even my husband. Um, and you know, I, I, my husband is like, is an amazing man. I've been with him for 25 years and I met him kind of at the best of when I was at the best place of myself. Like I had kind of cooled the jets, my drinking. I wasn't really drinking much at all when I met him and I was involving myself in an activity in a, in a, um, in a theatrical activity, because I was, I was really into that as well. And so he was, uh, sorry, I met him 
and I wasn't drinking. And so I feel like I was kind of like, he met me when I was kind of true, like the most authentic Sarah, you know, like free of the, um, those character defects that really kind of, you know, get very pronounced, um, when we're actively drinking and we're not in any kind of program. Um, so, but then, you know, of course, <laughs> with any alcoholic, you know, there gets to a place where, you know, you get comfortable in a relationship. And then I was, you know, we were going down the road of looks like we're going to get married. And I was really excited. Um, I wanted to have children. And, and so, um, I, um, basically, um, we, uh, towards you know after a couple of years together and then we got engaged i i felt myself kind of like you know and i i can see this retrospectively i felt myself kind of like turning back into that really low self-esteem you know being resentful of the fact that i wasn't the center of his world you know, he's just nor he's a normal guy. He's not an alcoholic. Like he has activities, like, you know, doing things that, you know, you know. It's it's amazing too how we can marry normal people. My wife is completely normal and well put together and just just it amazes me. Yeah. Like, you know, I just couldn't believe, like, why aren't you putting me first in your life and um and and quitting everything else in your life so that you can, you know, um hold me up to the world and saying, look at this wonderful, amazing woman married, like, and, you know, and strutting around, you know, you know, saying, look at the, you know, I was searching for, you know, uh, a self-esteem in other people. And, and I was starting that pattern, you know, that I, that I had actually discovered in my sex inventory, um, I finally understood my patterns and those patterns started to creep up again with, um, the, the, the healthiest man I'd ever been in a relationship with. And, um, anyway, so he, um, I think he, we fell in love with each other. We loved each other. We still love each other. And, you know, and, and he, bless his heart, you know, with, I had this medical condition that he was so compassionate and supported me regarding. And, um, he didn't think I was, you know, he knew I liked to party, but, you know, my, the, the severity of my drinking really didn't pick up until after, um, I, we had our third child and, um, it was about, I would say it was a, a year after I had, we had my third, our third child. I, um, was, I was doing a lot of drinking, like doing the whole mommy drinking culture stuff. Um, and without, before that even became like kind of a saying, right. Because <laughs> right. <laughs> my, my sons are, they're teenagers now. And so, um, anyway, so I, I love the fact that I could find other moms who drank like I did and, and had young kids and, you know, my kids, two of my kids have special needs. And so I would, we would kind of like, Oh, what was, what was me? You know, we had, this is so hard and okay. We, we deserve to drink, you know, any, any kind of um, excuse I could get to kind of hide the fact that I really, at that point really knew I loved drinking so much so that it was maybe not normal. <laughs> and um i ended up uh it was i guess so a year after my youngest son was born i was drinking so heavily and so much so and in dangerously and getting putting my kids in danger as well that i um i i was resentful that nobody knew but right. how could I even know? Cause I was keeping it a right. secret, you know, like, yeah. so yeah. it was just like, I was resentful that people couldn't read my mind, you know? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's silly. Um, and so I ended up 
quitting on my own for four months. And um, after four months, I thought, oh, I, okay, that felt kind of clear headed. You know, I was enjoying the fact that I wasn't having hangovers and throwing up so much. And uh, I ended up picking up again. And <clears throat> that was in 2010, May of 2010. And then for the next two years, I just, you know, th- during those four months that I quit the, that my disease really progressed rapidly. And so when I picked up in May of 2010, I um, became a daily drinker. And on the weekends, I would start as early as I could. Um, and then um, in May of 2012, I had a rock bottom dream, very, very lucid, uh, very, very literal. And it would take some time to tell you that the dream, it was a very long dream. And the, but the, the dream, the end of the dream, it was like this journey that I was on. It was a very, very, (laughs) you know, chaotic and unmanageable (laughs) and dangerous journey that I was on in this dream. And at the end of this dream, I was brought into a um, glass chamber, like, like an elevator and which submerged me into a vat of liquid. And it, I was the only one in it. And so, and everyone who had been in this vat with me had exited and then began to just be spectators of me alone in this dream that ended up, I ended up being submerged into a vat of liquid. And then I woke up gasping for air. Oh my God. Because I was completely submerged. I was holding, literally holding my breath while I was sleeping. Oh man. And I woke up and I knew that it was alcohol. Wow. It wasn't water. It was alcohol. Right. Wine in particular, Pinot Grigio. And in fact, if I like really rack my brain, I can tell you the brand. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I, in that, that was the first time I felt completely, um, defeated, like exhausted. The, the sentence, I'm so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired popped into my head. That's really interesting. I have never heard a speaker ever, ever relate that it was a dream, you know, that, that prompted them that that was their their moment i guess yeah yeah That's and really I, i've had several i have i have several like we could do another episode on all my spiritual awakening dreams that i've <laughs> i'm a i do yeah anyway so i'm i'm my the dreams that i have i am i thank god for you know my higher power my higher power gave me the gift of having uh, dreams that are dreams that, that are messages from my higher power. And I had dreams before I got sober that I didn't pay much attention to. And this one, for some reason, I mean, it was pretty, pretty much like, poosh, wow, you know, that's, incredible. In the face. that's like, incredible. Okay. The God saying like, you are drowning yourself. In so alcohol. did that prompt you to go seek help? Did, did you seek help shortly after yeah. that? That same day. That what, what happened, John was just, a miracle. Um, the, the, um, what was actually the first sentence that popped into my mind when I woke up was, um, before anything else that I thought was a a thought that I never came up with on my own or thought of before. And it was, um, Google local AA meetings. So I, by the time I got downstairs, which took a while because I had to throw up and get my son and do what I normally do every morning. It was a Tuesday morning, you know, cause you know, getting hammered on Monday nights was just <laughs> part of my life. <laughs> and I just happened to, you know, have that dream in early in the morning, um, May 8th. It happens to be my, um, my late, uh, beloved grandmother's, um, birthday as well, who I was very close with. Um, and anyone in my family who knows, um, the relationship that we had, they would say, oh, Sarah was always her favorite. Um, even, even, you know, she, she struggled with her relationships with her own children. And so 
not my father really, but um, her other children. So, um, so it's, it's really amazing that it was on her birthday. And at the same time, um, a litter of puppies were born um, that we were in line to get. And so my, my dog was born <laughs> the morning of my rock bottom. <laughs> so she's my sober pup. <laughs> she, she, she turns eight the day of my rock bottom dream. It's not my sober date because I did have a couple of relapses then. But um, um, anyway, so I went to an AA meeting that day of the rock bottom dream. And I um, sometimes I get kind of emotional when I think it's it's um, I went to a meeting in my hometown, in my hometown, the town where I was raising my children in too, because I thought, oh, no one would ever that I knew. <laughs> would ever go because like how shameful right you go so no one I, I thought i was so smart you know like i'm gonna go where nobody like everyone from like other towns or states will probably be at this <laughs> local church <laughs> and i walked in well before walking in it was like all biker dudes with like with tattoos and i'm like is this a men's meeting and for some i don't know why i just knew that you know because i didn't see any women i'm like i don't know if i'm at the right meeting and they were all laughing and smiling and smoking cigarettes and sitting on their motorcycles and they saw me and I think they just, they knew I was new. I've talked to more than a few women who've had that experience. They go to their first meeting. It's all guys. Like, <laughs> Well, what's amazing is that um, they said, no, 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 come in, come in. Yeah. And, and, and they were bless their hearts. Like, and I mean that in the, the most uh, real way, they, um, they led me and said, no, no, you're in the right place. Come on in. This is your first meeting. Okay, come in, you know, meet some amazing people. No, there'll be women here. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> I promise you they'll be well, here. <laughs> yeah, well, no, at that point, they were making phone calls because it was, yeah, it was a meeting that didn't typically have women, even though it was. The, so, um, that's good. Yeah. So I, I went in there and I knew I was home. I was crying the whole time and it was like, okay, this is home. Uh, that's what AA does best. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I heard them speaking my language and I yeah. thought, wait a minute, I coined that phrase. You know, <laughs> sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like that's, yeah, that's my, that's my baby. I that. <laughs> <laughs> like, who are you? I was like mad about it too, which is so funny. That's the magic of AA as far as I'm concerned is it's, it's, it's that, it's that connection that, that we make with people all from the very first meeting. You know, I felt it too. But that sounds like a great group. I, I mean, I hope they were turned out to be a great group. It's, it's nice that they did what they did. Yeah. I never went back to that meeting because they, they directed me to, well, what ended up happening, John, is this is like, this is another higher power moment that I didn't realize was occurring was that, um, I believe phone calls were being made, but they, um, but the, in the last, the last 10 minutes of the meeting, um, a woman came like, the doors just like went slamming open and she came in and I saw her talking to one of the men that had kind of clung to me to keep me, keep me there. Um, she and he were talking like sidebar and I was like, you know, <laughs> what are they like? What's going on? Are they going to kick me out or am I going to be brought to the hospital? Like what's going, you know, of course, cause we're always very, I'm very scared. I'm very skeptical I'm paranoid you know like what what are they concocting because it's all about me right like sure. but it was I mean it was all about me <laughs> it was at that point wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> but, but it wasn't in the, in the way that I thought and um anyway she so she sat down next to me and she said hi I'm and she told me her name and I said hi I'm Sarah and and she said um let's talk after the meeting and what I found out later is that she actually in her 35 years of sobriety had never been to that meeting. Mm. She was not one of the people who was phone called. Oh, She happened to miss her regular meeting. She had missed the train from oh, that's interesting. So she came, she knew about the meeting um, and she obviously knew everyone who's there because they go, you know, in an area, I mean, they, there's a lot of meetings in our area. That I, and um, so she ended up being my temporary, temporary sponsor but she only went because she missed her regular meeting. How about that? So I feel like, you know, again, God, 
pops woman. She was the only, she and I were the only women there the whole night. And there was a gentleman who I went to high school with at the meeting. And of course, thinking that that was a meeting that no one from my town would be at. And he was, he was like, oh my gosh, Sarah. And he said my maiden name. And I was like, just, just like, I wanted to die. I, I almost left, but, um, I, I was kind of a deer in headlights because he was so happy. And right. I knew- yeah, that, that's a little strange when other people are happy when you're at like a the rock bottom point of your life <laughs> and you're in a room with people that are really kind of happy. But it, again, it also gives you some hope because you realize, okay, now those people did have the very same problem and look at them now. Yeah. And I believe um, what he said to me was, um, there's noth- nothing to be ashamed of. I was once where you're at and I'm recovered. Good. And to hear the word recovered, um, I have to say was really important. And I know that's a, that's a word that, you know, I've learned at this point that comes with a, a lot of like controversy almost. Yeah, in the, I, I, you know, I like it though too. I agree with you. I think to use that word for a newcomer is, is, can be life-saving. Oh, very powerful. Um, for me in my experience to say recovering is kind of like, cause this is what I ended up feeling like, um, early on and for most of the years um, until just recently, actually that recovering is like, you're always doomed with this alcoholism. And what I didn't understand, it was like, I, as the big book says, we do recover from this obsession, this allergy, this disease of alcoholism, you know, the allergy that sets off the obsession and then we can't stop drinking. We do recover. So in that sense, we have recovered from the insanity of the drinking. That's how I see it. Yeah. And then, and this is how I see it as well. And it it is exactly, you know, I'm not twisting it at all. It's exactly that in the big book. And, and then, um, but we do always have that human side, right? Where, where character defects, you know, kind of stay or, you know, can be nurtured or, yeah, we're we're always going to be hopefully growing and and learning about ourselves as time goes on. And I guess you can call that recovery, but or personal growth or whatever, you know. And that's what I do. Is that that's as a human, I find that I love that I can continue to evolve along spiritual lines, and um, I have a pro, I have a design for living now today. Um, and it's you know I'm I'm 47. Um, I'll be 48 soon, and I I'm so grateful that I having given this chance to live uh, a really more peaceful, um, happy, joyous and free life, you know, and it's a life that doesn't come with, without problems, but, you know, I handle them in a way that I never, ever knew how to handle the littlest problem um, before. And so, so this there, I'm kind of interested in this part of your story uh, because most of my guests are not, um, fond of the big book and and so forth so what interested you in this podcast um how did you learn about this podcast and how did you become interested in this because it sounds like you have a more a a fairly traditional program which i had you know for a long time and i understand well that's another higher power (laughs) (laughs) i think another you know god's way of kind of leading me where i need to be led you know and my my willingness to keep my heart open to go into in, in the direction I need to go to continue to grow and evolve and and just keep going towards peace and joy and helping others and cleaning house and um you know my my eight years in the program um is uniquely my, my own, and I was always willing and I knew by the time i started um, this is kind of a long i'm trying i'll try to make it abridged as possible to answer your question of how i found your podcast um well the short the short answer i guess i'll get to it is that you know i um have just recently because of covid (laughs) i have literally been um rocketed into the fourth dimension because um people have come into my life into my life that would not have come into my life had had COVID not occurred um, because of all these Zoom meetings. Exactly. I'm hearing that from a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's going to change AA, maybe, possibly. Maybe. For the better, hopefully. 
that's that's my hope, you know. And I know for me personally, it um, had COVID not happened, um, and I did not meet people from all over the country and all over the world, um, which I have, and I have become very close friends with people in AA all over the country and all over the world because of the Zoom meetings and um, and actually also because of a podcast that I have as well. And I'm, and I really am not here to promote my podcast. Um, it is, it's a recovery podcast and I don't, it's well, not. Do tell me about it. Cause I love hearing about other podcasts. Okay. Um, well, it's a podcast, um, that it's, like I said, it's a recovery podcast. So it's, um, you know, not AA specific, although interestingly, I attract people who are, <laughs> you know, that, that I guess, you know, just the way I talk and the way I talk about my recovery and, the guests that I have, they just have a very spiritual um, kind of foundation of their recovery. And so some people are, there's a couple of people who are not in AA, um, but they do have a very strong spiritual foundation. And, um, and I have like, I interviewed recently an agnostic um, and that's fine. So anyway, so I, I got in, um, I had been working the program of AA for, you know, a good five years. And then I found my, and I had gone through the gone through the 12 steps and the 12 and 12, but not really thoroughly. I'd also with another sponsor and I had to switch sponsors because my first sponsor had like a tragedy that happened in her life. And, and I was, I had like a mental breakdown three years into my, like, I really wanted to kill myself three years. And I was like, why do I want to kill myself three years into my recovery? Um, and cause I had done, I thought the steps, you know, and, it was, and I, I was, was doing, two years sober and the closest I ever came to drinking was after two years of sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I was confused. I was very confused as to why that was happening, but I was again, desperate. I had children. I had gotten that far. I'd seen what recovery can offer. I was liking the person that I was becoming. And, um, you know, I never did formal amends at all. Um, and so what ended up happening is I, um, I got a second sponsor and she brought me through the steps kind of as best as she could, but I was also like needing outside support. Like, and, she, and thank God she's a sponsor who isn't like, uh, like she's very old school. She has 35 years, 38 years, I think like long time in recovery. And and so she really, um, her suggestions were based on my own experiences and my own needs. And she said, you know, what, what you're dealing with right now, Sarah, is something that I'm not equipped to handle. I will be your sponsor and I will do AA stuff with you and everything. But this particular thing that you're wanting to kill yourself over, like, you know, is something that I feel like professionals need to so I did. So I got, I did EMDR therapy. I did, you know, behavior. Like I, I did all sorts of outside. Like I actually went to <laughs> a rehab. Um, and, you know, at that time I found out that I, you did have severe um, um, de- uh, depressive disorder and um, anxiety and ADD. So um, I got help for that. I got a psychiatrist. I, you know, worked very hard with psychologist and did a lot of like purging of stuff that I had never thought I needed to purge. And so, uh, subsequently, um, you know, I felt like I was, you know, feeling again, like this high of like emotional sobriety. And my sponsor even told me that she's like, you have changed so much since you first came to me. So that was like a, that was a huge shift in my, in my, um, journey and recovery but it was just enough that I felt God knew that I could handle at the time. So I, you know, I really dove into my home group. I realized what it meant to be a part of, and not just like I'm a periphery of meetings, you know, like I was really doing service work and getting to know people and trusting people and forming relationships with, with women and with men and with, you know, in, in appropriate ways. And, um, and loving my home group. And then, then I felt like this longing, and then I had another spiritual awakening dream, which was, 
rocked my world. And, um, and because it's AA, I, I, this is an AA podcast. I think I could probably talk about it, but the, the gist of this dream was, you know, Jesus was like my best friend in this dream. And we were in a show together and he got killed and he ended up, um, I went, I was devastated and I never, ever before at that point, you know, I'm Episcopalian. I never really, I've been Episcopalian my whole life. I, you know, came into A with, with resentments towards God, which at that point I'd kind of gotten over and God was my higher power, power. but then I was like gifted with this Jesus dream, I call it, mm-hmm. who I never thought much of at all. Like, <laughs> just another dude in the Bible. Right. And, um, but he was like my homeboy in the, in the, in the uh, like he's <laughs> my bestie in the, in the, um, in the dream. And I'm like devastated that he was killed. And then in the, in the dream, he, I went into the ambulance while he, while he was laying there and he had his arms crossed over his heart. And I'm like, what is he holding? Like he is, he's holding something. So I went closer and closer and I was crying and I was talking to him. And I was saying how much I was going to miss him. And I look closer. I'm like, is that the Bible? Is that the Bible? And I, it was the big book. Wow. Your dreams are amazing. I, <laughs> I, I hardly ever even remember my dreams. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had some, like I literally <laughs> do an entirely other, like I could, should be in a dream. I, I swear they're great. <laughs> yes. And again, God gifted my power gifted this dream. And so it, it like, it catapulted me into this other, you know, God knew I was ready to kind of take this journey, this spirit, this even deeper spiritual journey into my recovery, this relationship with Jesus, who I like literally fell in love with Jesus. And, and I wouldn't call myself like a fundamentalist. I'm I'm not, I'm not a fundamentalist really with anything, um, except (laughs) at this point, I really am in love with the big book and the message. And I just feel like God wrote that book. And, um, and, uh, for, so that was five, that was like four and a half, five years. I had that Jesus dream, you know, at that place of like, I, you know, found a new sponsor who told me that I needed extra help. And, you know, so I really was being like, I was being tossed up. I was, you know, my whole inner life was just being tossed up. I was so vulnerable. I was just really working through a lot of stuff again and it was coming out and I was purging and purging and purging. And, and so, um, I got a spiritual director. I'm like, what does this Jesus, what does this mean? Like, I don't understand what it means. And, but it was the big book I kept thinking about. I was like, why is it the big book? And I'm like, so the, the next couple of years, like I was really like diving into this. I was, I was, I was longing for something didn't really know what it was. It was something I, I longed for something deep, deeper, and I couldn't discern it. I really couldn't discern it, but I knew this dream meant something in in my questioning of that longing. Like, what was it? And it has to this day. I know why I had that dream. I know, and I understand why I had that dream. And it has, it did bring me to the place where I am today, um, of understanding of of why I had that, that dream and. And it led me, the dream led me into a place of like even more open heart, you know, open heart, like open willingness to say yes to things I said no to and no to things I used to say yes to in, and, um, I, um, started writing and, and I created a website and a recovery website and, and I, it just was, what's your website called? Well, it's, it's disbanded now. Um, and so I, I tossed it. I just, it wasn't, I'm like, this isn't right. It doesn't feel right. So I just dove back into my meetings and, and then, but still that longing, that longing. And now to, to answer your question about my podcast last December on my birthday, I all of a sudden, because I was just feeling so grateful with how I was feeling. And I just completely just surrendered to the fact that maybe, you know, this creative place that I felt like I needed to go in, like in terms of like helping other people, like I just wanted, like wasn't working. I I just said, I let go of it. You know, I just, maybe the website's just writing is just not my forte. I just wasn't feeling it. And, um, I'd actually been invited to be on podcasts at that point, which I was like, what? Like, cause then it was just because I was on an Instagram account on a different name. Um, 
than it is today. And people, I guess, were attracted to the things that I was writing about my own journey. And so, so then in December, I am 2019, sober gratitude is just like sober gratitude. Okay. So that's like wherever you go and I'm out, I'm like totally out. Oh, really? Okay. So, um, I don't use my last name, so I go Sarah Elizabeth. Um, yeah, I don't either. I, I keep my anonymity. Uh, now it's been broken, um, inadvertently before by other people, you know, and I, I'm okay with it if that happens, you know, but I do try to just be out of respect, I guess, for the traditions and so forth. I, I use my, just my last name when I'm in public, whatever, but. Yeah. Same. Anyway. Yeah. And people who know my last name know my last name. I can't yeah, they know you. They know you. <laughs> but you know, in terms of like now that I'm 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 present in in social media, um, not in a huge way, but um, I know I know what but, you're saying because I I am too. And every once in a while, because your last name is out there on Facebook and so forth, and so every once in a while, anyway. Yeah. And I actually closed down Facebook a couple of years ago, and when I came back on, I it was Sarah Elizabeth, and I actually kind of like. And this is no, like nothing personal against some people that I was friends with, but I was accumulating friends before I was Sarah Elizabeth, um, that, you know, I, I'm not, I, I'm like questioning why was I needing to be, you know? And, um, so I was looking for, I was really craving authenticity everywhere throughout my life. And so I came back onto Facebook as Sarah Elizabeth, um, like three years ago, two, two years ago. Um, and then 2019, my, that name of the podcast came on and I just went dove in and I felt it was like, that was right. And I used the anchor podcast platform cause it was free. Cause I'm like, I'm not looking to make any money. I'm just to, to kind of use. It's the, it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I, I love that because you can. I also need that creative outlet, you know, and I work, uh, in, uh, finance and you can't really be very creative, you know, you're not supposed to be anyway, Right. <laughs> but, um, um, so yeah, so I love to have that, that outlet, but what it has done as far as just opening my world up to other people and other thoughts and different, I've learned so much. Every single person I've talked to Sarah over all these years is still, still with me. You know, their stories are with me and it's just an amazing connection. So I, I hope it's been a great experience for you. I, I think it, it has. Yeah. It, it's a, it's what, what ended up launching me into the fourth dimension because then that the big book talks about that I used to think was bonkers. I was like, what the, this is weird. I'm just going to ignore that part of the big book. And you but, can reach people in a very special way through that podcast. You know, um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's amazing to me still. I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion, you know, this is probably the most important thing that I do in my own recovery is this podcast. And it's something I love to do anyway. So it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I identify John and I, and I, I, I started it to really, truly to help other people, to give people a platform to share their stories of hope and why they love being sober, why they're grateful for being sober. So that's why Sober Gratitudes, it's a very simple, it's like the only requirement to be on my podcast is um, that you stop drinking alcohol and that you're grateful for it. There you go. <laughs> you know, it's really, there's no yeah. other requirement. <laughs> And, um, and I do pre-screening too, because, you mm-hmm. know, I think it's important to kind of engage with a potential guest in a mm-hmm. way that where I'm like, we both feel like it's a good fit. Um, wow. I gotta and, check it out. I had no idea that you did this when, when you, when it, I don't know, maybe I missed it or, but that's okay. uh, cool. It's all right. No, I just, I, I, again, like I like how it's attraction rather than promotion. And what I do actually, because, because I don't affiliate myself with AA. Um, when I talk about my program, I don't say, I usually don't say, Hey, I don't, I don't, I just do my program of recovery, but I ended up, um, my, I did my first season and then at the, at the start of COVID, I stopped, I had a focus on getting my kids all. Oh my God. Yeah. Learning. And, um, my husband started working from home and it was like just a whole new life. And, and 
thank God I'm sober and I've been sober through all this. But so then I, I ended up, um, kind of pausing, um, doing interviews. Um, but then I, once things, everyone got kind of got acclimated to this new way of like learning and, um, life. I, I had all this free time to, and I, I interviewed a lot more and then I ended up closing out my first season in the, in the middle of COVID. And I did, and I love, it's actually my favorite, one of my favorite episodes It's my favorite episode because it's a compilation of all 20, 24, how many episodes did I do at that point? I can't remember how many, but I took a clip from each episode. Oh, how clever. And I had, and I, and it was like, you know, the really inspiring. Yeah. And I loved it. And, and what's so great is that I really enjoyed spending the time going through the interview and listening to what the, yep. they so say. So you do your own editing and everything? I do. Good yeah. I, I do too. And I get a lot. I enjoy that because I learn. I, I like the learning part of it. But also when you go through that editing process, you learn so much about the person. I mean, because you really listen to that story. I mean, that's so helpful. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I tell you, I have learned so much from all my guests and I, I, sometimes I get moved to tears. Often I have been moved to tears that I think, like I would think, oh my gosh, I have, I've been doing this for selfish reasons because I feel like I'm the one who's being helped. <laughs> and I don't know who I'm like, I don't have a huge following. I'm not looking to be famous. I'm not looking for any of that, but I'm just looking to help it. And I, and, but since then, you know, I've realized, you know what, I, I do know that there are people who do get help from and hearing the stories. I, I could tell you stories that have happened that are just unbelievable stories of, of people who have um, actually surrendered, finally listening to one of my episodes. Um, and so the, the last episode of my first season, I actually, it's a thank you episode. That's what I call it. So I'm thanking all my Cause I, I love them all. Like they, they shared their, their hearts and souls and, and they were vulnerable and they, they were That's really, really honest. A good idea. That was a good idea to do that. I like that concept. Thank you. Yeah. I, and you know, again, it just like, I don't know how I just, that just came to me, but I feel this. So this is a creative outlet for me. I love it. I love the, the top. I love the, I love talking about recovery. I love, we love talking about AA. So that's, that's why I saw when I saw your podcast, I'm like, this might, I, th I feel like that. Cause I, I used to do a lot of speaker meetings before COVID and I haven't really had the chance to do that. Um, and, and I listened to a couple of your episodes and I'm like, this, like, I feel so at home at AA. So, you know, I'm just like wanting just an opportunity where I could meet somebody um, and know the audience was also AA, you know? Um, but, um, I, I ended up in COVID, um, just, I, I know, you know, for, for time, for, I don't know if you have time restraints here in your, in your episodes, but I, I, one of my guests, um, I found on Instagram and really was drawn to the, and, this, this guest is totally anonymous, like wrote a book, thought the book was amazing, uh, was really attracted to this person who was very anonymous. So I texted this person and I said, you know, I really love the content of your Instagram. I have this podcast. Would you be interested in being a guest? And we started to communicate and I'm thinking I'm talking with a woman. Uh-huh. And so I said, you know, I don't even after like getting to know this person and this is before I did like, like more thorough pre-screening, um, like this kind of pre-screening where we see each other. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I said, you know, I don't even know your name. Like, you know, my name. Cause I have it on my Instagram. Like what, what's your name? Thinking I was going to hear like Betty, you know, Susie. and it, it gave me a guy's name. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're a dude. <laughs> like, I'm like what the heck and so this dude you know was on my podcast and we became friends like he's just has a, such a great program of recovery he's so he's completely anonymous and then um I was like darn it you know I'd really love to know this person like get to know this person better 
Um, but I respect his anonymity like that. I really respect that, you know, and, and want to honor that. But then COVID happened and this, he reached out to me and he said, you know, I'm going to be doing a zoom meeting. Do you want to join? And I was like, I get a chance to, to meet this person who I think has such an incredible part. Like, it's like, I, I wanted what he had, you know? And so in this meeting, we, um, it was wonderful. Like it was, it's been, it's, and it still goes on. It's a, um, a wonderful meeting. And then he took it a step further and brought how he brings, he has like 30 plus years in the program. And he ended up doing a, um, a, uh, zoom big book study. Oh, okay. He invited me to that. And I was, I went through it. I just, I finished it a couple of weeks ago and, um, I cannot believe <laughs> what I was missing. And there, what I learned is, well, that I had not thoroughly gone through the steps ever, but I also think that I wasn't ready to thorough because it, it's, it can be for somebody like me who has a lot of trauma and stuff in the past and it was hard to be not, I, I was, it was hard to not. Yeah, I agree. You you do, you have to take it in little bits and pieces sometimes, I think, you know? Yeah. And that's, and I'm very much, I honor like addiction. I, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I very much, trauma and addiction there. It, that's becoming a big part of my mission is that, that that's like a whole other level in which I think AA um, and I do think there's a lot of places AA does really honor that, like my sponsor honored that that's something that AA is not equipped to really right. handle in your situation. Um, so I think there are special, you know, like I said before. Uh, well, I'm learning from my friend and co-host Angela, just what a big deal trauma is and, and the, and caught and, and making it more likely for a person to become an addict later on. You know, so it's, it's a huge part and, and trauma is, I guess it runs on a spectrum of, you know, from, I, I know that I, I had trauma, but it wasn't, you know, it was a different sort of trauma than other people have, but it was trauma nonetheless. But anyway. And, and you know what I've learned and when you, in the beginning, before we started recording, you said, what do you want us to talk about a topic? And the first thing that came up was trauma and, and, but, but then I'm like, you know, I, I'm not sure if I want to focus completely on that. There were um, so many things, by the way, that you brought up in this podcast that could have been, could have been topics on themselves. You, you mentioned that you, you went, you talked a lot about the inventory process and about what you learned about yourself and the patterns that you learned from yourself. That was a huge thing for me too, of, of all the, of everything that I've done in AA. I think that's what I've gotten the most benefit from is having that understanding of myself and not even just having that understanding, but learning how to go through that process because I continue to do that process whenever I'm in some sort of a, having some sort of a problem in my life, you know, and that, that, that's just, that's just huge. And I also find it interesting that, that, um, that you do find value in the big book. Now I, I have an interesting relationship with the big book because I was, um, Oh, you, I don't know if you've heard all my story, but I went through a period of time where, um, I was going to this group where we studied the big book and always toys into it all the time. But then after some time in the program, I came out as an atheist and all of a sudden people were using that big book in a different way to try to kind of put me in my place, you know? So I, I had to kind of put that aside, that book for a little while, but I still find value in it. In fact, I was reading some of it yesterday and um, just to, to get ready for a podcast. And I said, you know, there's some pretty good stuff in there. <laughs> there's some pretty good stuff in there. So I think it's important because it is an old book and there are people that don't relate to it, you know, so well, but, but there is some value in reading it and it does describe an alcoholic pretty well, you know? Right. And you know, it, what I learned um, things about it that I never understood and I was kind of anti big book, which is, yeah, and and I think it's because over the years, and and I'm I'm pretty confident just with what I've learned um, through this um, study that I experienced um, most recently is that it um, the message and has been tangled and 
and how I went through it was it was like a detanglement of the message and the detanglement to to literally like going through it as it's like word for word it's like there was no you know and and I when you said you know you felt like it was used as kind of like yeah. a it was a, it became that, a law book <laughs> no and that. that's that's not what the founders the founders didn't want that Oh, I know. I know. I, I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, this might be a good podcast in, in and of itself is just talking about the value that you can find in the big book. I mean, because, um, it, it's just, a, it's just really, really interesting, especially when I'm, when I'm meeting younger people and especially women who have some difficulty identifying with it, with the language in the book. But if you do put it in, a, in its historical context and, you know, you can anyway, that's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I was like kind of, oh, it's all about heat. Like, I don't, this is so, I can't believe it. But, you know, at, at this point, like I just pushed it aside and, um, and it's, and that's not what's most important about what you can really benefit from, from the big book. And, you know, for me personally, like the biggest thing that I learned, like I said earlier, is that through the sex inventory, and it's not the same way for everyone, but for me, the kind of being rocketed into the fourth dimension, I was, it occurred for me when I was going through the sex inventory and I realized my patterns in relationships. And then I realized, holy shit, for my whole life, I've been really very selfish without knowing I was being selfish. And, and even like with my best intentions in sobriety, I'd been selfish. Like even in like before, beforehand, like trying to make amends with somebody but I was doing it in a very manipulative kind of way. So it, that, that's not how the big book suggests that you do it or recommend that you do it. And so now, um, like every, I see myself in a way that I would never, I see myself with a brand new set of eyes today. Like this is what I feel like I've been like born just a few weeks ago almost, but I know it's just like a sec. It's like a, this, this other, juncture I'm at in terms of my sobriety where I it COVID like I said yes to all the right things during COVID and then COVID brought me to a place where I could go I knew I had a kind of longing for the big book I didn't know what what it was and this this is what it was it brought me it stopped me right in my tracks in the rooms of zoom and um I was able to learn exactly what the big what the big book's all about and that that I, I no longer, I see the benefit of telling a newcomer I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm not a perfect person by any means. And I'm so, I'm so relieved. Yeah. Like I'm so relieved that I can let go of that. Like that I know I'm not that thank God for the 10th step, you know, like, cause I can the, go through my day. If I'm not sure of like a thought or action, or if I'm or if I'm like, I did something that was mean, I can immediately make an amends. And I can, after I, um, you know, kind of go to the throne, I then go to the phone. And um, so that that I have the 10th step there for me, you know, because some people think, oh, you know, I, I did my fourth step, I did all my inventory. So why am I still irritable and discontent? Like, why am I? And for me, I think it was largely due to the fact that I didn't fully understand that my alcoholism is the allergy that I have, the disease of alcoholism that I have, the allergy I have to, to alcohol where I take a sip and then it kicks off the obsession to drink and then I can't stop. That is completely separate from my humanism. And so the big book really steps three through nine, you know, are like any human can be brought through. I, I, I agree. And, um, and, and so that being said, we all have the opportunity to learn about our patterns, like our selfish patterns in life so that we can think of others before ourselves, you know, in the, in the world today, like we are consumers, we are so selfish. We're so self, like we want, we want, we want, we want. And now to be relieved, like to know what it means to be in self. Like I, I didn't know when I was being in self, like I gave that example, you know, of like manipulating a ninth step, you know, that, no, that it, it didn't work. I was like, why didn't it work? Well, cause it, I wanted this person to be like me. Cause I thought I, I had the right way of behaving and being, 
but that's, that's really selfish, you know? So like, I can't, ex- like I'm me and you are you. And, and so that now I've learned the, as it's, as it's laid out there, word for word in the big book, exactly what I, what I can do to live a, a happy, joyous and free life. And, um, well, I have to say that's how I got sober. <laughs> that's how I did it. So, um, this has really been an interesting conversation. I'm so glad that I got to meet you and I'm definitely going to check out your podcasts. Um, sober gratitude. Sober gratitude. Yeah. And anywhere you go, like if you Google it, you're, you'll find a website that's sober gratitudes, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, you know, and it's, it's really just another, it's kind of like a AA anonymous. <laughs> way of being helpful, you know, like to, to do, um, just to, to, to inspire others. And, and my tagline is, um, celebrating the hope and recovery. That's what I like love to do every day is celebrate the hope and recovery. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and that's it for another episode of AA beyond belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you would like to help out our website and podcast, you can do so by oh becoming a patron on patreon.com slash belief or visiting our website and clicking on the donate button and uh, donating through paypal.me. But you know, a lot of people right now don't have a lot of money and that's totally okay. If you are not able to contribute, we're going to be just fine anyway. And thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Sarah, for joining us here on AA Beyond Belief. <laughs>